you'll turn in your Bible with me to 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're working through this great letter. And there's a, a distinct shift in the in the Peter's goal here, Peter's communication. We're gonna we've just been talking about how do we as Christians interact with the world? How do we live out this great gift we've received in, in having Jesus and do that in relationship with people who believe like us and people who have no idea what we believe. Or may at worst case, right? And I mean Peter's gonna talk about this. They hate what we believe, right? How do you respond to that? And so this is a really helpful passage. Um, looking forward to it. What, how do we relate to our neighbors outside the church? I mean, part of the way we do that is by being strange, strangely committed to Jesus as we honor everyone. So let's, let's read this text. I'm going to read verses 11 through 17, where Peter writes, uh, this is God's word, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And this is God's word. It is true, trustworthy, and he's spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have called us uh, loved, loved with the same love that Jesus has had for all of eternity, uh, given to us through Christ's death on a cross, and I pray that that would then shape how we relate to one another, that we would learn today how to live good and beautiful cross-shaped lives, that our neighbors may see that, see Christ in us, and glorify you, and give you thanks. So mold us today, Lord, into a people who freely choose to serve for Christ's sake. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So like I said, we're jumping into a new section in Peter in, in the sense of uh, he's, he's shifted from our relationship with God, right? The good news of the gospel. Jesus has, has given us this great, astounding new reality that we are in relationship with God to the vertical, or the the I'm going to get my axes right, like the horizontal relationships with one another, right? Where we get to love our neighbors, we get to love the church. Um, so chapter one, you're invincible in Christ Jesus, you're held on to. Chapter two, right, you're, you're, you're being formed into God's image. You're, the church is loved, gathered together, chosen, and sent out into the world 
to be Jesus' public witnesses. And from here, from 2.11 through the end of chapter 3, and it actually goes all the way to chapter 5, really, it's just going to work out this one big idea. How do you show the world that you are Christian? I'm going to say an S word, and you're not going to like it. <laughs> right? Submit. Be subject to one another. I mean, another way you could translate that word in, in verse 13 is obey the authorities above you. Right? And even when you suffer cruelty, keep serving, keep doing good. Um, Peter's working out the implications of what, Je what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, that if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you're of the world, the world would love you because you're just going to blend right in. You're going to love the same things they love, but because you're not of the world, because Jesus, he says, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, said Jesus, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But all these things, right? So all these things, people who don't know, they cause harm. All these things they do, will do to you on the account of my name, says Jesus, they do it because they don't know the one who sent me. Right? It's out of ignorance. They don't know. They don't know the God who made them. All right? So you're going to be, expect for people to see you as evil because they don't know. They don't know the God who sent Jesus in love for the world. There's, there's distrust, fear, hostility, slander. And in light of all that, Peter says, here then is how you should live. You ready? Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Right? Gentiles is the word for the nations. It's, it's one of the words to describe the world outside the church from every tribe, tongue, and nation people who don't, don't belong to Jesus. So that when they speak against you against evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right? So the moment you signed up to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, you're signing up to be watched by your neighbors, inspected, criticized, judged, slandered. Right? And Peter's shaping our expectations don't be surprised when that happens. And if you're a people pleaser, right, it doesn't matter how nice you say what the Bible says. It's not going to change someone's mind. You need to shape your expectations. So this uh, whole idea, right, of we as the church, we're not a bubble. We're sent into the world um, to go live out our Christian faith so that others would see it and, and be attracted to Jesus. That's what Peter's getting after. Right. One of the things I learned as part of my missionary training, it's, it's good to have other missionaries who can, who can tell you how they experience this. Um, they prepare you to be misunderstood. Right? That, that's kind of ground training, right? To go into a culture to try and, as much as possible, expect to be different because you're American. Right? Nations have different value systems, different cares, different loves, different cultures, and Part of my training was uh, watching this TV show by National Geographic called Worlds Apart. And basically what they did is take American families from the suburbs who've never lived in rural, poverty, uh, poor areas and drop them in just a difficult corner of the world. So the one we saw was in Africa. They took, this is my favorite, right? They took a family from northern New Jersey, the suburbs, right? The teenager lives by, by Domino's alone. 
Uh, they have got two kids to go live with the Maasai people in Kenya. Teenage girl is vegan because she loves animals. Right? Like she cries her heart out for a day because part of the excitement was, they're here, let's kill a goat so we can feast together. And she loved that goat. She just met him the day before. Right? Because in their world, meat's a luxury item. It's something to do. Now the mom gets upset because she's got to go walk to the well to get water and then, and then spend time by this roaring fire uh, to prepare the meal while the dad's living his best life hanging out with the elders. Right? Just talking. <laughs> she's like, you're doing nothing. Um, the American family brought their Maasai hosts a gift, a chess set. Right? It's a game of kings. Surely they'd be interested, and they were somewhat irritated or at least offended or didn't understand why they'd care more about the plastic bags, the pieces came in, than the gift. Right? Because there's different values, there's, there's misunderstanding, there's hurt feelings, there's distrust. And that's just on a human level, different ethnicities. And so when Peter says, hey, you're a chosen race, the church, representatives of Jesus, I'm going to send you into the world. Jesus sends you into the world to live as foreigners among your neighbors who don't know Jesus. They don't know the God who tells you how to live. They don't know the values you have. Right? How much more misunderstanding will there be? And so Peter is going to help us. He's going to say, let's learn how to care what the watching world thinks so that they may see our good deeds and give God glory or thanks on the day of visitation. And the day of visitation, you know what that is? It's most likely the day of judgment, the very last day when history ends and Jesus makes everything sad come untrue and those who are with him will be with him and those who have rejected him will be rejected. The last judgment, all things will come to account. The only people who praise God on that day would be Christians. So the goal, according to Peter, is to keep doing good until they see Jesus in us and come to love the God that we serve and come to know him. Right? That they too would praise God, give him thanks for the things we've done for them. That's where we're headed. So how do you get there? What kind of life do we have to live? And this is, this is really helpful. We start as a, just living in the world. Right? We're not a bubble. We don't run away from the world just because they have different values. Um, but we go as those beloved. If you look at verse 11, right? That's what Peter calls us, the church. Other translations might say, dear friends. But really, the gospel's wrapped up in that one word, beloved. Right? Beloved, one who's loved. It's the same word to describe Jesus as the beloved one of the Father, the chosen one. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew 12, 18. I think this will be helpful. That word beloved is all the way through the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. I think this, is, this will help import some background to what Peter's after. All right, so when... <clears throat> When uh, the first witnesses of Jesus saw Jesus loving people, healing them, making them whole, they remembered Isaiah 42 and said, this is, this is who God said would come, and this is, 
This is what all the healing is pointing to in verse 18, quoting the prophet Isaiah. It says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. And so I want to talk about Jesus before we talk about our mission. Right? So you notice that in Isaiah, the Messiah is God's beloved, his chosen servant, right? Slave, whatever translation you want to use. He's sent to go be seen and heard by an unbelieving world, the nations. Right? And he keeps going where God says to the Messiah, I'm going to give you everything you need to do this. I'm going to put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Right. So Isaiah said long ago that the Messiah, God's promised one to right all wrongs, when he comes he's going to live and love as one loved by God the Father. Beloved. And the way he does that, it's actually going to be attractive. He's going to do good among the Gentiles. He's going to bring justice. Now, it's a loaded term, justice, these days. But you know what that word justice refers to? It's just telling people how to live according to God's design. I mean, it's, it's a word quoted in an exodus around the tabernacle and all the laws given. Love God, love your neighbor. He's going to tell people what to do. Even as he corrects what's going wrong. Right? So yeah, justice is going to include caring for the poor. Uh, it's going to include working to defend the oppressed, um, defend the bullied. But what will the Messiah do, according to Isaiah? He's going to tell people outside of the community of faith, outside in the, in the world, hey, this is how you live. This is, there is a right way to live. Right. I mean, you, you feeling uncomfortable yet? <laughs> he's going to do so, though, in a way where he's not quarreling. He's not crying aloud. He isn't screaming in the streets to be heard. There's no sense of having to be really, really loud to be really seen as really, really important. He's, there's not going to be public theatrics. There's going to be a gentle, royal confidence as God's beloved going into the world um, to do justice. And these are the people he loves, right? You keep going. He comes to the bruised reeds and the barely burning wicks. It's just a description of what it means to be human. Right? A bruised reed is someone who has some, some kind of misery caused by sin and selfishness. Right? You've been bruised. These are people who have come in to the Messiah for help, expecting help, and he's not going to run them over in a way just to get them to live right. He's going to be gentle. But this is who we are. We're bruised reeds. If you are here in the church, you've been bruised at some point, and if you have not, it's coming, right? could be sickness. That's part of where Isaiah and Matthew are connecting the dots, Injustice, poverty, I mean, broken relationships, things done to us and things done by us. We're, we're bruised reeds. Right? And you know, the, the picture, right, is something that 
the plan is bruised, and if you, if you hit this thing just right, if you aren't, if you aren't gentle, it's just going to snap and be done for. Right? And so it's, this is a portrait of the Messiah, a king who's coming to do justice, who's coming to tell people this is how you live in God's world. He's coming with authority, but he's going to do it in such a way that the bruised reeds won't break. The law, written in stone, but it comes to us to G- through Jesus in gentleness. And so here's how the Messiah lives, right? He, he, he came, and this is Jesus, as the beloved, the chosen servant to come and serve the bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks among us. And so this is who Jesus is, right? Uh, the hope of the world lies in the servant, the delight of God, the quiet healer, the man for others who wields the only true power exists. And he comes with the power to reorder human civilization. That's who Jesus is. But not by bullying, but by suffering. Not by imposing demands on us, says Ray Ortland, but by absorbing our sins and miseries upon himself so that we might be loved as he is loved. Of course, Isaiah keeps going and says this Messiah is never going to get tired in the process of telling people how to, to reorder their lives according to his will. This gentleness will not end. And so, I'm trying to paint this picture, right? I, th- I think what Peter's after is, is all this idea of being beloved. I mean, it's very simple. You are loved as Jesus is loved, and you are sent into the world as Jesus sent into the world. And who are we sent to love? bruised reeds. And the way the church is going to live as those loved by God the Father according to everything he's going to lay out next that we're going to go through here. It's designed to attract others to the Messiah in us, to Jesus in us. So, how do you do that? Well, do you go public with your faith? Right? I mean, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And one of the ways you do that, and you go back to First Peter chapter 2, right? he, uh, he says, I want you as sojourners and exiles, as foreigners and resident aliens, right? a chosen race living among your neighbors. You're different because of grace. Go be strange by saying no. You abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That word to abstain has a very specific meaning. And here's what it's saying. Don't participate in the same passions that your unbelieving neighbors do. Right? There's going to be, part of the reason you're going to be strange is because for Jesus' sake, there's going to be things your neighbors love, they commit all their time to, uh, they obsess over, they reorganize their whole lives around, and for Jesus' sake, you have to say no. I mean, it could be food, it could be alcohol, it could be sex, it could be money, it could be career. I mean, all these good things, we're all human, there's overlap. But we don't love them with the same intensity as our neighbors do. We see them as gifts, not God. Right? I mean, that's what Ed Clowney says, just like Rome in Peter's day, same here in New York. There's corruption of these desires for food, alcohol, and sex. 
And because we want to fit in, it's hard not to get swept up into the cultural madness. Right? It's not that those things are bad. They're gifts. But the word passion is over-desire, epic desire. It's, it's our desires for them rage out of control, and we have a new desire that, get, that tames those desires, and that's the desire to do God's will. Because we're beloved. We're controlled by the love of Christ, right? And so it's going after things. I mean, alcohol can be enjoyed, but it can ruin lives. We can be controlled by the desire to be liked so much that Jesus' commands sound silly. I mean, that's, how, that's pretty much my whole school experience. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe we're controlled simply by just plain old lust. I want something, so I'm going to get it. Right? You remember the old cartoons, right? the, the picture of the wolf who sees something attractive. Could be food, could be Bugs Bunny dressed up as a, a female wolf. <laughs> right? But the eyes bug out, and then he just floats along, going wherever his desires take them. That animal-like desire is being retrained and tamed for Jesus' sake. So Peter says, abstain from them. Right? You're submitting to Jesus' commands. And that's going to make you weird. You're going to be weird because we're going to say, yeah, I'm just not going to do that because I'm a Christian. We're going to be strange because you're not controlled by what your neighbors think. That's a hard one. Which is why Peter says these things wage war against your soul. It's, it's competing for your attention, for the affections of your heart, for your faithfulness to Jesus. It's going to war against your very being. Right? You're being tugged in two different directions. Right? But that's the whole point of this is who you are. You are loved. And you're a stranger, an exile, a foreigner for Jesus' sake. And so it's impossible to be a foreigner without appearing strange to your neighbors. Right? One more point about how, right, one of the ways you live your faith out in the world, you're going to say no. One of the things you, the other way you live out in the world is, is you do good. That's verse 12, you do your good deeds. Our neighbors will see our good deeds and give God the glory and thanks when Jesus returns. It's this idea that we do beautiful, attractive things as we show love for our neighbors, whether they believe like us or not. Uh, it's, it's that idea that they will see something we've done as a church, as an individual, and say, that is amazing. What planet are you from? Why do you care about me? All right? I mean, several years ago, there was a conversation that went on, it went on for several years. You remember this horrific shooting in an Amish community in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where uh, a man did this awful thing and harmed children. And what went public was this Amish beca community, because of their Christian faith, they not only forgave the man who did this publicly, they showed that forgiveness by coming alongside the shamed family of the man who did this. They, they came alongside the wife of the man who committed this evil and his family and, and and loved them. And everybody's like, what planet are you from? Why would you do such a thing? And the answer is Jesus. Right? Those are public, praiseworthy, winsome good deeds. Responding to evil with good. And what's really interesting 
I think this will be helpful as we think about honoring everyone. Right? Even though, yeah, Christians in the world have different value systems, we care about different things, we have different views of mortality, what's the good life, how we parent, are children good, are they inconvenient, are, you know, we have different views of politics and how we relate to our government, you know, we have all these differences. Who is calling Christians good in this passage? It's the neighbors seeing our good deeds, which means there's something in them that sees what we do as good, which means there's also overlap in terms of what we see together as good. You see that? That Peter expects us to live in a way that will be recognized as good even by the standards of those who don't give a rip about the Bible. It's one way to honor. You have, more, you have things in common with your neighbors. We have things that we both agree. That is a good deed. Right? Which makes this a lot more complex, doesn't it? Right? I mean, he's saying there are places where Christian values and non-Christian values are going to overlap in every culture, and so you get to work to do good in a way that they see it and acknowledge it. And you can incarnate and love them that way is telling you that just because we abstain from some things, you can't default to, oh, they are just evil, awful, and irredeemable, right? We can't set up a Christian bubble where we say the world is bad, the church is good. Peter's not that black and white. The Bible is not that black and white, right? You can't criticize everything. You can't run away simply because they're different. You can't just live in a bubble, it's the beauty of the church. We're sent into the world as Jesus was sent. See, if, if our neighbors here in Saratoga County, wherever you, you find yourself, Montana, <laughs> right? You know, if they see our Christian faith motivating and driving us to do good and beautiful things in their eyes, we have a common good that, that we can work towards together. Right? That's, an, that's one way to honor them by saying, hey, we're all a mixture of good and evil. It runs right down the the human heart. So if you put all this together, right, Peter is saying, you live your life, your faith, before a watching world that is ignorant of who God is, and they will misunderstand you. They will call you evil even as you seek to do good. Even as you abstain from what they love, but the way to silence their ignorance, their lack of knowledge is to continue to do good to serve them, right? Those things happen at the same time in verse 12. We will say, I love you. They will hear it as you hate me. And we say, well, I still love you and I'm going to keep serving you. That's the pattern as God's beloved sent into the world to be witnesses of Jesus, right? The heavenly kingdom comes not by swords and loud clashing and fighting as one hymn goes. It's by deeds of love and mercy, that Jesus' kingdom comes in the church. Now, that's hard enough. Now comes the, the fun part of the sermon or the frustrating, depending on. <laughs> We've got to talk about submission. Part of our witness is the way we relate to authority. Right? The way we do good is doing that in the context of submitting to the authorities above and under us or near us. We get to be strange because we honor everyone. And, right, so, Peter goes on to say here, right, be subject for the Lord's sake to every, every human institution, whether it's the emperor as supreme 
or to governors, right, just below the emperor, sent by him to punish evil and praise those who do good. Uh, this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Use your freedom for service. Right? You are servants of God. That's what he says. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Right? So notice, here's how you live as a foreigner out in the world. Submit, obey. Right? Obey every human institution, institution for Jesus' sake. I mean, that in itself is an astounding thing. A human institution would be any kind of humanly created social structure where there's people in authority over you and people under authority, right? So traditionally we think of government, family, church, work, you know, those kind of spheres. There's, there's a system in place. And Peter says, hey, one of the ways you show you are aligned with Jesus is you say, yes, I will submit. So it's really interesting, right? We're, we're called a royal priesthood. We're, we're Christ-like. We're, we're royal. We're, we're God's kings in Christ's kingdom. But the way you show that is by submission and service. Obeying authority. It helps to fill in the gaps here. Right before, I'm going to ask some pointed questions as you wrestle with this, um, as I wrestle with this. You know how Christians were seen in Peter's day? Um, we have a letter a few decades after Peter was written from Pliny the Younger, right? So one of these governors in the same area where Peter's writing to, to a Roman emperor saying, here's how I'm dealing with the Christians in my community. Right? And, and this is what was happening sporadically throughout uh, the first century of, of the existence of the church, that there were lists of people being accused of Christians. And then if you were accused as a Christian, you'd be dragged before a court, commanded to worship the emperor, the Roman emperor, as Lord, and at the same time curse Christ. And some did. That's what the letter says. And Pliny said, well, these Christians are making their defense, and here's their defense in the letter, right? All we do as Christians is meet on a fixed day before dawn, so right on a Sunday before dawn, they gather together to sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as God, right? Just to think about that, right at the beginning, they're already saying, Jesus, you're, the, you're divine. They bind themselves by oath, right? So they commit. They say, we swear this is how we, what we will do. Not to be criminals, no, they swear not to commit fraud, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to lie. Uh, to, when someone says, hey, you owe me, I trust you, give me back what, you, what I've lended you, they swear they will give it back. They're not going to be cheats. Right? They're going to be good citizens. They basically, this is our defense. We worship Jesus Christ as God, and we're here to love our neighbor. And then Pliny says, well, and then they would go and eat together, and it was just ordinary, innocent food because there were rumors that they were cannibals eating, eating babies. And here, here's how far their submission went. They even agreed to stop meeting when the governor said don't because it looked too political. They said, we're willing to do that. And then Pliny ends the letter by saying, I need to know the truth, so I took two female slaves that they called deaconesses and I tortured them. Turns out it's just superstition. 
And that's how the letter ends. And so when Peter says, right, obey human institutions, you have the Roman emperor who's demanding worship as a god, and he's not a nice person by any means. Even in Peter's day, right, Nero is soon after this, who would light Christians on fire as candles. And he's saying one of the ways you show your commitment to Christ is to continue to do good, even in unjust situations. There's a lot more going on, and we can talk about it, but let's wrestle with what Peter says, right? Obey the governing authorities. I think that's the, the implication here. Whoever is above you, we obey, we submit to, subject ourselves, willingly partner with, right? That's how we use our freedom in Christ. And so if you think over the last 18 months, how much have you heard that attitude in the public conversation about how we relate to, say, Governor Cuomo <laughs> or the president, whoever he may be, fill in any governor, for that matter. Right? Peter's saying one of the ways you show your love of your neighbors is to submit to the authorities in your community because your neighbors are watching and they're going to base their opinion of what, who Jesus is on how you, how you live your life in public. Christians are free, but grace makes you a servant even a servant of the local governing authorities. And so, we can just wrestle with this, run through a line, right? If you, one of the ways you connect with the culture, use and show that you belong to Jesus is, is you're, you're good at what you do and you submit to where you're at. So if you are a young child living in your parents' home, right, that's a human institution, a family. Um, you obey your parents for Jesus' sake. You honor them. If you're an employee, Peter's going to go on and talk about servants and masters. That'll be next week. Right? Obey your boss. And Peter's very out blunt about the fact that your boss may not be a decent human being. If you're a student, obey your teachers. If you're a believing wife, right? it says, obey your husband and honor him. How foreign is that? We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Right? Part of what Peter's really pushing, and I'm camping out here because this is different from how we process the world as Americans. Right? It doesn't use the language, the gospel doesn't use the language of rights the way we do. You are honored and you are free, but, but you're still bound to God, commanded to love everyone, honor everyone and to love the church. Right? We're you're free, but bound and obligated to love everyone. Right? It's just part of seeing everyone's humanity. By doing good, you silence their ignorance. I love what John Calvin here says, because right, he's, he's answering objections to these kinds of things. And he was a pastor in Switzerland a long time ago. And he was hearing Christians constantly saying to him, my neighbors don't deserve our help. They're foreigners, we don't trust them. Uh, they're immoral, they're irreligious, they don't deserve our submission, our love, our help. They don't treat us well, so why should we care about them? And so Calvin, the pastor, said, don't consider 
their evil intentions of their hearts. Look upon the image of God in them that cancels their transgressions and with its beauty and dignity is drawing you to love and embrace them simply by virtue of being created. That's John Calvin. Some people think he's ornery. He's actually compassionate. Honoring everyone simply because they're human. Even honoring the emperor who's above us, who has more power and authority. I mean, maybe some of you are thinking, where's the chance for rebellion? Where do I go public with my stand for Jesus and, and my morality? What if my government is awful? Where, what if they aren't interested in my flourishing? And the answer is they're not. <laughs> but that's not in this text. So it's, it's, I know for me it's easy to go to what all these other what ifs, but Peter's saying, no, wrestle with this. Subject yourself. Humble service. Even obey the government. Work for the common good of the bruised reeds around, around us. So how do you become that kind of people to even want to try? As Christians, how do you become willing, obedient servants of God in the world around us, committed to do good even when we're slandered? I'm going to jump, jump down to Peter. Chapter 2. Uh, Verse 21 and verse 20. If when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Why? Because Christ suffered for you. He suffered for you. That's how you become a person with a holy indifference to worldly power and passionately committed to peace. God's vision of peace at great cost to ourselves. Right? You've got to see Christ suffering for you. How? How did Christ suffer for you? You know what? He submitted to authority. Luke 2, when Jesus wants to do something different than his parents, right? it says, Jesus went home and subjected himself to his parents. He submitted. And when he was unjustly arrested as an adult and could have fought back and created a whole earthly kingdom and pull out the sword, right? That's exactly what Peter did, the writer of this. I mean, he was a political maniac. He wanted power. He was a zealot. Peter, as Jesus is about to be arrested, right? He chops off a dude's ear. Violence. Jesus says, no, Peter, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he, he picks up the ear and heals the ear of his enemy in the midst of injustice. Oh, Jesus, this is what Peter says, this is also an example that you might follow in his steps, that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled or insulted. He did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten. He didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly, even to his death on the cross in our place. See, he went through all that, submitting to the governing authorities in the midst of very real, awful, he was a victim. (coughs) Why? So that you might be beloved as he is beloved and sent into the world like yeast to love as he loved. Right? So, we are called to be God's servants asked a lot of questions. 
Are you, as God's beloved, chosen, delighted in servants by grace and grace alone? We're sent to be gentle and committed to God's plan for the world. <coughs> Excuse me. Right? Are you committed to this vision of what the gospel does, sending you out to serve at great cost to yourself? You don't do it alone, we do it together. Do our neighbors see the good we do as Hope Church? Even as they tell us we like you, but we don't like your beliefs. It'd be great if they're that nuanced. <laughs> right? Would the community even notice if Hope Church closed their doors? Would they blink? Would they shed a tear? And those are questions we need to wrestle with if we're going to be a beloved foreign, foreigner's chosen race sent out into the world to do good. Um, and so Peter's calling us to be strange for Christ's sake because you're loved, even as we then go out and honor everyone, submitting and obeying where we're called to obey. Let's pray. <coughs> Father God, we uh, thank you for the grace of Jesus who, who is subduing our rebellious hearts uh, even now, even as we try and squirm out of the commands you've called us to do. I pray that your spirit would, um, well, as, as the psalmist said, don't make us like stubborn mules where we need to be bit, have a bit put in our mouth and bridled, uh, but that you would tame our passions, our desires with this overwhelming, unconditional, never-giving-up, steadfast love you've blessed us with in Christ. So we leave here as your servants, asking for help to not only see Jesus, but then to live out these high commands you've called us to do, uh, to do good even when we are slandered. Help us to trust you as, as our just judge, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>